what happens in your brain happens in your body. So if it's pleasurable, if you're enjoying it, all the pleasure hormones cascade through the body, right? If you are intimidated, if you are threatened, and there are fitness marketers will say, you should be a little bit scared when you're going to your sessions. But people are already stressed out, people <laughs> are worried about health, they're worried about economy, they're worried about a, a million different things, right? So if your brain perceives the session as a negative stressor, the negative stress hormones will cascade through the body also. And then we don't do any proper service to our clients or students. We have to do our best to make it fun and enjoyable. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring our relationship to movement and how it impacts every other aspect of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, movement guide and co-founder of Evolna, an intuitive movement lifestyle company, helping people create a more fulfilling relationship to their body and self. Through my work in the fields of dance and fitness, I've always been deeply connected to movement and fascinated by how it shapes us. Join me as I dive into conversations with esteemed professionals from a variety of fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their personal movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope this podcast inspires and empowers you to create a more authentic relationship with your body as you experience the tremendous ripple effect movement can have on all other facets of your life. New episodes will be released on Friday mornings every other week. In the meantime, enjoy. Hello, everyone. Today's episode features longtime educator and fitness professional Jason C. Brown. Jason is the creator and owner of the Kettlebell Athletic Certification Program and the Art of Play Workshop Series. He is passionate about humanizing our movement practices, namely in simplifying them and adding more play and pleasure to the process. Today, we discussed the problems behind the fear and intimidation motivations promoted in the fitness industry and why they fail, how pleasure within movement practices impacts our mental, emotional, and physical well-being, and finally, the importance of play in relationship to our health. We're excited to share Jason's experiences and insights with you all, so without further ado, Let's tune in. Jason, thank you so much for coming on with us today. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Marie, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. I would love to learn a little bit more about your journey into becoming a kettlebell instructor for fitness professionals. Okay. What drew you to the medium? What were the inspiration points for you to start that certification? So I think it's partly because I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. I'm pretty old. But part, one of my favorite movies was uh, Rocky. <clears throat> and Rocky mm. fights the Russian. Do you know the Russian's name? Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> Ivan, Ivan Drago. Ah, yes. So when I was growing up, there, there was this whole mystique of the Russian fighter, the Iron Curtain, that type of thing. So I always found Russian sports science intriguing and sort of mystical. 
and uh, I was actually reading a sports science journal on Russian methodology, and they resh, um, mentioned the kettlebell. And uh, I fell in love with a, a few things. I fell in love with the simplicity of it. It's a really versatile tool, but it's a very simple tool. Mm-hmm. And in the in the former Soviet Union, they actually use it as a form of like a uh, sort of a form of Olympic weightlifting for the general population, right? So you know, if you you're a fitness professional, you know all about Olympic weightlifting. You need a platform, and you need bumper plates, and you need a very expensive barbell that's really well made and really well calibrated. A kettlebell is simply just a ball with a handle, right? And it's like, it's so simple to, to implement for the general population. And uh, so I fell in love with it for the simplicity and the effectiveness of it. The mystique, the whole Russian mystique really helped as well sell me on the idea. But also I, I think they're aesthetically pleasing tools. Like if, if I didn't even use a kettlebell, which I don't use them very much anymore, Marie, to be completely honest, it's been a long time and I just need to explore other things yeah but, i get that <laughs> but I, I really think they're beautiful and if i didn't use them as a physical conditioning tool i think i may have one on my coffee table as just a way to say look at this beautifully well-developed round artistic structure mm. i don't know does that make sense that's a bill oh, it totally does you know i have to say that when i transitioned into personal training of all the tools that were out there, the kettlebell spoke to me the most too. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of that is also of like all the strength training equipment on the floor. It's the only one where people are really dynamically in motion, right? The basis of working with a kettlebell is swinging. Right. (laughs) And if you think about so much of the human body and how we move, it is actually rhythmic swinging patterns. That's really what walking is. It happens with our arms. It's how we you know, like move through space. And, and there's just this really beautiful grace in working with the kettlebell. And I think it's also what intimidates people. And it's why, especially in the United States, I at least think this is why most people have gravitated towards dumbbells and barbells rather than kettlebells is because in our efforts to try and simplify the focus in strength training, we, we actually ran away from the more authentic and internal and natural patterning that kettlebells offer. But I I 100% agree. I think they're, they're such a wonderful tool. And when you start getting comfortable and familiar with it, it's just, there's so much you can do with it. Even this initial basic movement patterns and swinging patterns, they can be brought and scaled into combos right and then all these adaptations you can make and i'm i'm watching people do some really crazy stuff crazy right and animal flow right now yeah ballet (laughs) animal flow they're combining everything with the kettlebell right yeah yeah so i i totally understand why why you were hypnotized by it but i would actually be curious to know you mentioned that you're sort of needing a break from it and i know you've spent 15 years running this certification, correct? Around 15. It's it's a little bit shady. My, you know, I'm getting old. So I think the first time we actually ran it, at least for an Equinox in New York City, I believe was 2005. So that was 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I've been using them from the early 2000s, though. So the timeline would probably be like 2000, 2001. But that when uh, Equinox approached me to start a certification, uh, I, I believe it was 2005. So let's say 15 years. So in all that time, educating fitness professionals with this modality and just sort of being within the industry, what were some problems that you started to notice arising? Like what problems specifically do you see happening for the average person who's not a fitness professional that fitness isn't addressing when it comes to their health and well-being? That is a great question, and it's very deep. There's so many avenues that we could go down, Marie. One, and 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 actually wanted to touch upon it while you were talking about the kettlebell, when you were saying people gravitate towards the dumbbell. One thing, and I think this is our fault, and when I say our, Marie, I, I, fitness professionals as a whole, yeah, I think we scare individuals into moving because we just try to reinforce that they're going to do things incorrectly or improperly. And I, I don't want to say that there isn't a way to do things better, but we sort of use, it's like the morning news. We use fear and intimidation to promote our work and our services as opposed to promote the positive things like move more gracefully, move more poetically, be artistic, be strong. No, we're like, don't F up your back. <laughs> don't blow out your hip. Don't tear you your rotator. Form. You have to get perfect form. Right. And it's like, a, I, think, I think if we approached fitness from a more artistic viewpoint from a more holistic as in terms of we are training, we are working with, I don't even like that word training, to be honest, because that, uh, I, I sort of associate that with like canine behavior, right? Like I train my dogs, but I, I don't train humans, you know, like, it's not like Pavlov, like, like ring the bell. And then you set, you know, your mouth waters, right? Yeah. I, think, I think part of it is that, uh, and I'm I'm sorry that I think I'll probably rant, Marie, but Please I think don't. I don't forget that we're working with humans who primarily want to express themselves physically. Yes, we're concerned with health me- health metrics, right? We're concerned with like high cholesterol and and obesity and those type of things, and that may be the initial reason why people search out our services, but. I primarily, I think, I think we need to get back to the art of expressing the human body in, in more of a, you know, an artistic approach and an an overall human approach and not just worried about the numerical metrics, right? I love that you chose the word human rather than holistic, Mm. right? Because even holistic as a term, it's like, oh, we're going to do things the natural way. But when, you were, if you were to think about holistic training, it is a little bit more like, oh, body weight specific. Like, and maybe it does incorporate more expressive forms, but the fact that you said human, right? That's even a larger sphere to be drawing from. And like you said, this, the thoughts of like grace and flow and fun and 
for it to be creative and expressive. Like working with kettlebells is inherently expressive, right? Yes. You're yes. you're expressing strength. And I like you said, I I totally agree with you about the intimidation factor. I will say um that a lot of the fitness experiences I had both just dabbling in high school and then becoming an actual trainer and then starting to run a business and then getting certified. Like I was always intimidated every step of the way, every step of the way. And I was in the industry itself. I was a dancer. I had like everything going for me. So imagine what that feels like for the person who's just trying to start. Right. Yeah, totally. It's intimidating. It truly is. And I think we need to do so... I read a business book from a woman, uh, Danielle Laporte. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she said, uh, pleasure makes everything easier and easy yeah. is productive. Yeah. Right. Less friction equals more momentum, right. And more, more momentum equals, you know, more progress or whatever. Right. So as fitness professionals, I think we come in with an agenda. I spoken about an agenda the other day and we have an agenda. We want them to barbell squat, for example. We want them to bench press. We want them to deadlift. But we don't necessarily do our best job at finding what is pleasurable for them. right? Yeah. What is, and if we can do a better job of finding what is pleasurable, and it may be a tough sell. I totally understand this. Like People are coming to you as a personal trainer, and you think you're supposed to do weights and cardio and, and self-myofascial release, you're supposed to do all these things. But I think we can do a better job of finding what is actually pleasurable to the, to the student, to the client, to the athlete. And when we do a better job of you know, reigniting whatever they turns them on, then there's less friction. There's more momentum. People will be happy to move instead of like, you know, I, I really hate burpees. But there's there's people that program burpees. Like who the hell enjoys burpees? Like a sadistic CrossFitter that really likes CrossFit. But 99.9% .9 of the people coming into your your are not looking forward to burpees at 6 a.m., mm -hmm. 7 a.m. It's just not, right? Mm -hmm. I, I also think like certain exercises, you know, again, fitness tends to oversimplify things in a way that's actually not simplified for people, right? So the, the concept of HIIT training, for instance, like how amazing it is. Well, it is amazing in certain doses and certain contexts. But if your go-to is always HIIT training to like overcompensate for the fact that you're stuck sitting and you don't get to move as much as you want, then it actually starts to become non-beneficial it starts to have negative effects it actually begins to destroy your cellular metabolism yes it off years of your life you know and people aren't aware of this and for example the burpee is like classic hit train you get everything at once and you only need five minutes right. um but to your point about about pleasure you know this is something i found really fascinating and also a little bit scary in my personal training and health coaching business is I would often ask people, well, what would you really love to do? What mm -hmm. would be fun for you? And nobody mm -hmm. knew how to answer that. And, yeah. and it's like you, you said, we're training people, which is already incorrect. Like you train to do something specific. Like if you're an athlete, you train, right? Like if you have a specific outcome, but most people are coming into the fitness industry to feel better to feel at home in their bodies, 
to be strong, to be healthy, right? And these are much more global goals. Like you don't really have to train for them. You have to adapt your lifestyle. You have to make a perspective change. You have to make new decisions, right? But it is not the same thing as training. And and because what really needs to happen is so much larger than just those sessions or just that time in the gym, that's where that pleasure component is actually so important. Because if you're going to layer in practices that are actually going to stick, that people are going yes. to commit to and want to return to, I mean, this is something I used to talk about all the time. Like, if you're not excited about coming back and trying again, then something's off. Like, you, even if it's challenging, there's a difference between the kind of challenge that makes you feel like you want to be swallowed up by a hole in the ground and, like, disappear for all eternity versus the challenge that's like, oh, my God, that that I can feel and see myself being able to do. I don't know what's behind it, but I'm curious. I'm interested. Like, let's see what comes up out of this because I, I just, I just want to discover. Yes. Yes. Your point about the cellular metabolism. I read a great phrase the other day and it was what happens in your brain happens in your body. Mm -hmm. So if it's pleasurable, if you're enjoying it, all the pleasure hormones cascade through the body, right? Yeah. You perceive your training as a threat. And and we have both used the words intimidating. If you are intimidated, if you are threatened, and that, and there are marketers out there, fitness marketers will say, you should be a little bit scared when you're going to your sessions. But People are already stressed out, specifically yeah. in this year, right? People <laughs> are worried about health. They're worried about economy. They're worried about a, a million different things, right? And then we, what happens in your brain happens in your body. So if your brain perceives the session as a negative stressor, the negative stress hormones will cascade through the body also. And then we don't do any proper service to our clients or our athletes or students, whatever, how we, however we want to address them, right? We have to do our best to make it fun and enjoyable. So not just who cares if you burnt calories, if, if uh, you know, you just took a bath in negative stress hormones, right? And then you have to go turn on your email and get 100 emails from a workload that you're not anticipating. Hey everyone. If you haven't yet heard, we have an Avolna on demand app. It's a perfect tool designed to nourish both your mental and physical health for a strong body and steady mind. Inside, you'll gain access to all of our Evolna offerings, including movement microdoses, follow-along flows, and meditations to support your everyday needs. If you're interested, try us out for 30 days for just $1 by signing up to the link in our show notes. We'd love to have you join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. So when you have the negative stress hormones, that has an impact on how your cells do their day-to-day -day operations. You're, you're coming in with that fear and that pressure response and you're doing exercise, which is quote unquote good for you. But when you're bathing in that, in that stress response, in that excess stress for too long, 
your cells are not actually going to respond to that training, to that stimulus in the way you expect. So you think you're burning calories and you're shaving off fat. You could maybe be eating away at your muscle instead because your body is actually (laughs) thinking it's in that state because that's usually what stress historically, evolutionarily meant. And that was the body response. And I have found this with myself and with so many others that when you bring pleasure in, you don't have to work as hard. You don't have to put as much time in. It's way more fun. You're way more relaxed. And get this, like the physical adaptations that you are seeking come and they come faster. They come more powerfully. And it it sort of is counterintuitive to people because a lot of the literature and a lot of the media and all the information through these marketing systems you're talking about through the selling point was always based on like more time really having to stress yourself, pressure yourself, right? Like no pain, no gain, hustle Mm -hmm. and grind. And our bodies actually are not optimized to hustle and grind. They're meant to be able to do that once in a while when need be, and they're excellent at it, but you do it too long, you burn out the engine. And it's not just in terms of like, your lifespan, but it's also in terms of your clarity, your focus, even your physiological makeup, how you look, how you feel about yourself. Yes. And to take it even a step further, when we're talking about pleasure, like where are the places people go to seek pleasure right now? It's usually trying to find pleasure in intimacy and sexual like experiences, or it's in alcohol, or it's in drugs. Imagine being able to lay your pleasure in every day without needing another person, without needing other substances, right? Without like being able to create that state for yourself and find it like in any given moment. Right. Yeah. One of the most pleasurable times of my day is just walking by myself. Right. And I love my family and I love being with other people at a limited level, but (laughs) just give me a dog walk. Mm. Right. And it's Mm. the most pleasurable hour in, in my day because it's just me and my thoughts. Walden said, I walk to get ideas out of my head instead of getting ideas into my head. I really like that. So I don't do podcast or anything either when I walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love just walking and like looking at the scenery, like breathing the mm-hmm. air, especially coming out here to Colorado. Like the walks are so different than they were in Brooklyn. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Can I share a story with you, Marie? Yes. So, you know, I teach a workshop called Art of Play, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think we were 90 minutes in Mm. and uh, everybody was exhausted. And any physical skill that you wanted to address in these sessions was addressed, right? Like flexibility, mobility, strength, uh, cardiovascular fitness, they were all addressed. And uh, there was a woman in the class that after 90 minutes, I mean, she was drenched, totally exhausted. She said, uh, raised her hand and said, so are, when are we working out? What? And I think this is what, this is our fault. Yeah. Right? This is our fault. Please, you don't have to work out today, right? You've done enough. Well, and maybe the point isn't to work out, right? right. Maybe the point is to play and be in your body and, and to be so immersed in that, that like you're you're focused on other things rather than just like, how hard you're working, right? right? And this is pervasive in everything. It, 
And I, I wonder in some ways, if this is why we see movement this way, this is how our culture and our society, especially in this country functions. Yes. It's all about hard work. It's all about the currency of productivity, maxing yourself, going beyond like, and how much can you devote yourself to boxing yourself in to prove that you're really attaining something? Yeah, you're such a warrior, right? Yeah. Even our word workout, like people are overworked. And then we're going to do something with the same connotation as working. So, right, let's go work out. Now, how about this? I got this from Pavel, and I think it's a brilliant idea, calling everything a practice. Yes. Right? Yeah. Instead of yeah. this is my workout. No, this is he's he's a you know, he's a big strength guy. This is my strength practice, which I or this is my movement practice. Right. Practice is something that is sacred, something that is has ritual and rhyme and reason as opposed to a workout. You've mentioned Art of Play, and I know that you've been sort of drifting from kettlebells into something new for a little while now. So you're making these significant changes to the focus of your work and your offerings. What has inspired you to make these changes? And what are these offerings? I actually think it's it's an interesting dilemma. And I believe I believe you were hinting at this as well before the record button was hit. It, <laughs> There's an internal struggle and an external struggle, right? So internally, and so my internal struggle, I think many people are going through it as well. So that's the external, at least from my viewpoint. I think we we lack depth. We're just not deep anymore. We're not fully engaged with life. I think we walk around all day and stare into our phones, even while we're working out, right? We're more interested in what's on that device than what is actually happening to us, what we are actually experiencing it. Being a self-employed person for 20 years, I, I read a lot of business books. And, and one of the guys said, um, if I were to ask you, what problem do you solve? Can you, can you answer that in one word? And I really couldn't think about it because I don't want to solve fat loss or, or, you know, obesity. I just, that doesn't turn me on anymore because I think there's our, there's deeper roots to obesity, right? I don't want to solve osteoarthritis. I don't, but I think if I were to answer that question, I think that it goes back to depth. Like, I really think we are living in shallow times and I don't mean shallow as in like, Kim Kardashian, look at my butt, shallow. I mean, we're just not engaged with life anymore, experience at all. We're just not. We don't, we're zombies. We're totally zombies. And part of it is because we don't move the way that humans are supposed to move. We don't dance. We don't play fight and play and roughhouse and swim and, and bike ride and wrestle our puppies. We just don't. You know, yeah, it's interesting. Like the internet basically creates this whole world outside of the physical world, and especially somebody who personally is very interested in different spiritual teachings and, and like the concept of you know the world beyond the world we see. Like, on some level, I do think there's a parallel there where people live more in a world that is not physical. 
Yes. And it's an interesting paradox because I think there is a lesson in it. But yes, the challenge is while we can live in these worlds that are not actually made up of material stuff, like through our phones and through the, the internet, the the real reason why we're here is because there is something innately sacred about living in a body, experiencing things in the material reality. And um, what I what I feel is happening with the internet is it's allowed us to shift beyond the constraints of reality. But now the challenge is learning how to exist with both. Right. Right. How to how to be able to live beyond what really is like and what you can smell, see and touch. But then at the same time, embrace what is and be able to derive pleasure from what you can taste, smell, see and touch. Yes. I don't I don't mean to harp on the uh, the Internet, Marie, but that is a huge part of it. For example, the average American child spends four minutes outside. Mm. I'm not sure about you, but all of my best, greatest memories were spent outside yeah. with my friends. Right? Yeah. And I really fear that my sons and many other children throughout the world will not have great memories simply because of that type of situation. That's how we learned about ourselves and our friends and nature and the world around us. It was through that experimentation outdoors, free play, no adults watching, mm -hmm. right? Just yeah. ourselves. Yeah. So you mentioned that you would say that the problem you're solving is depth and, yes. and really wanting to bring people back in to their physical experience and out of this like Per, all pervasive reliance on internet and screens and technology. So how are you formulating that right now? So you said solving. I would say attempting to solve. Attempting <laughs> to solve. Yeah, okay, because I'm it. not sure I'm actually doing, I mean, it's a struggle in my own life, right? Hmm. Uh, for my new work, I would like to spend a lot of time helping people be more present with everyday situations. For example, there was a 14-year-old girl in our neighborhood that was hit by a car because she was FaceTiming, walking across the street. Mm. That is the type of depth. Walk. Mm. Be present, right? I think we need to get back to noticing and being present. And uh, and I know I know it's hard. People listen to work interviews and, and conference calls on their walks and stuff. So I, I want to be sensitive to, to that as well. But Hmm. I think, and I don't want to use the word challenge because then again, maybe it's a quest. That's Colorado, Colorado <laughs> quest, vision quest. Or you could right? say like an adventure, adventure. You know? Yes. I like that. Thank you. Or explore. I love the word exploration personally. Exploration. Yeah. So every like month. We're going to discover something new, like when you're going to do something different and there'll be something new to receive and discover. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, so every month I would like to do a new exploration. Ooh, so are you walk. launching this next month so I can join? I'm working on it, yes. <laughs> I'm working on it. So we, we talked a little bit about some of these issues that you've experienced in the fitness industry and you, things that you think need to change. Do you have any specific points of advice that people can start to follow today to be able to 
make those changes in service of their health, in service of seeking more pleasure and, and finding more of that ease and joy instead of working out all the time. Are we talking from a, a trainer perspective or, or uh, yes. general population? Like from your expertise, like as a fitness professional, what are some nuggets you've got there? I think we should keep it playful. I think we should go back in time and try to, you know, bring back to life those things that actually did turn us on in, uh, in, in maybe our childhood, maybe our, our adolescent years. I was just at a workshop and there was a BMX bike in the corner. And I, and I, and I was a BMX kid growing up. And I walked over to the bike and I just started, well, it was hard to see smiles with the masks on, but maybe they, maybe they read my eyes. And then like three to five other guys walked over and they were like, are you a BMX kid? I was like, yeah, I was a BMX kid. And they're like, do you want to go in the, do you, I got a few bikes out back. Do you want to go ride? And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, let's do this, right? And we're like 50. I think we, we should keep it playful and find, uh, find, we're all individuals, right? And I think the exercise industry tries to, and I know there are best practices and there are standards, but I think it's okay to give options and deviate from those standards. Not everybody has to weight train. Not everybody has to do cardio, right? I don't do any cardio, but I walk seven miles a day and and ride bikes for hours with my sons and I do kickboxing. Those are all things that are training my heart and my lungs. I don't need to do pre, I don't need to do, um, Pres- or, oh yeah or prescribed like yeah. my, my exercise prescriptions mm. right? i think we need to go uh so specifics i think we just need to take a step back and be like what turned me on when i was 14 what turned me on when i was 15 even seven even eight like my my most recent post on instagram was i'm a struggling artist i'm sure you feel this way also but i have lost i have lost my way when i was a youngin I would draw every single day. My parent, my mom, my sweet mom, had a nice little table over in the corner where I had all of my art supplies. I've lost it. Why did I lose it? Because somebody told me to grow up and, mm. and, and make money, right? But, mm. you know, it just sucks the spirit right out of us. Yeah, you actually talk about this so much. And I really see this as like a key principle in the art of play and even the work you're looking to develop is this combination of artistry into oh. our relationship with our bodies. Like art seems to be so important to you. And I would love to learn a little bit more about the story for why you feel art is such an important part of our humanity and especially something worthwhile taking into consideration for our health and our movement practices. Great question. So growing up in rural Pennsylvania in the Appalachians, I was always some would say cursed, other people would probably say blessed. I'm sure you're familiar with archetypes, right? Yes. So the warrior archetype and the artist archetype. I don't think yeah. artist archetype is a legit one, like Jungian theory, but I don't care. I use it as an archetype. And it goes back to those that word, Marie, depth. It's like when you are dancing, when you are doing your intuitive movement, you're deep. You are in the experience, right? And I think art is what keeps us deep. Mm. If you ever watched the Red Hot Chili Peppers play. Yeah, uh, not live, just on YouTube. Yeah, but even you can feel their spirit through the through video, right? You know they're not thinking about 
their mortgage. You know they're not thinking about a car payment or anything. They're just, ah, they're just there. They're there in the moment, right? That's what I think art. Like when I watch you move, I'm like, that's that's it. That's it. That's what we need to get back to, right? Mm-hmm. And art, I would like, in my own work, I use art with a capital A because some people think art and the actual specific of a medium, like I'm not talking paint. I'm not talking right. I'm not talking uh, sculpture. sculpture or anything like that. I mean an expression of, I'm going to say spirit, soul. If you don't believe those things exist, that's totally cool. I understand. But uh, I think there is something that's not matter that is yeah. looking for expression. And I think that is the thing that we articulate through. That That's a great word, articulate, because it means to bring two things together, right? Like yeah. like articulation, right? Yeah. And yeah. art, art, our, our word art is from that root to bring two things together. So what yeah. are we bringing together? The spirit and that that clay that we're working with or whatever. So I think uh, art helps solve depth or the or the shallows, right? Well, you know, and like we, we keep talking about the importance of the terminology, you know, workout versus practice. But like, I really, that's why I love practice because to me, like any movement is an art. And what makes it an art is the fact that you can take any modality and it's going to be expressed completely differently in every single human being. And that's the magic of it, you know, and, and I especially love those modalities where you get to really see like, like the unique aspects and flavor and language that each individual has, you know, that's what I love about animal flow. It's why it's, been one of my favorite modalities since I first started as a trainer along with kettlebells mm-hmm. uh, because you know it's a modality that really encourages people to allow their spirit to yes. come through and and I love what you say about that because I think when we can get more in touch with that essence of spirit like that's where the true joy of being in a physical body really is to like feel it flowing through you to get lost in it and you know, for me growing up, this is why movement was always my saving grace is I didn't necessarily feel connected to the 3D world ever. Like mm-hmm. a lot of it didn't make sense to me, especially the way society layers it into us, you right. know, the whole get a job, make money thing. I never um, was able to <laughs> hook into that, <laughs> much to my parents' chagrin and um, stress. For me, like that was the thing I felt immediately every time I moved my body, it was like it was like a meditation for me. It was like an access point to that spirit directly every time. All I had to do was feel the sensations and become supremely focused on them. And within a matter of moments, like everything else that was in my head fell away. And it's what allowed me to be incredibly successful in like highly accelerated school programs, right? I didn't have much of a social life. I didn't have time to party, but it's because I cared so much about this thing that then allowed me to really flourish and thrive in all these other aspects of my life. Outstanding. Let's go ahead and continue on to some of the lessons that movement has gifted you. It's a great question. Yeah, I feel like like my movement practice has taught me specific lessons about life. Yes. And I'd be curious, like, what lessons has your experience with the modalities you've worked with 
which specific lessons have been crystallized for you as a result? I think the lesson of simplicity is important. Mm -hmm. If we go back to the intimidation factor, we intimidate people because we have make it we have made it so complex. Mm. Human move I mean it is complex, but other mammals move much better than we do. Right? Yeah. My, my dogs will wake up at five AM and sprint around the backyard. They didn't do any self-mile fascial release or warm up or anything like that. Mm. And they're not worried about complexity at all. They're not worried about Excel sheets at all. So I Mm. think we have done a disservice to, as professionals and as teachers, to, uh, we have not kept it simple enough. Well, and like complexity doesn't exist without the simplicity. Like you need both. And you can only really appreciate complexity or like take it the direction you want to go if you really have respect and coherence with what's simple. And honestly, the more I simplify things, I actually find that the simplicity is inherently complex. It's a, it's an interesting paradox. It because, is. Because to really refine yourself into simplicity requires a level of focus. And when you start focusing, you realize, oh, this thing goes so deep. It's true. The simple act of, you know, getting myself to walk without listening to anything and just observing, right. like, wow, this is a serious exercise in focus and presence that maybe I haven't practiced in a while. Right. Have you heard this word simplexity? It's a beautiful no. word. Simplexity is the combination of simple with complex, right? So it's, that's what you just described. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I know yeah. the human body is totally complex. I mean, but I, in order to express ourselves, we don't need to think about those complexities right? Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. need to think about is my bicep femoris contracting, right? Dance, dance, and then it's like, it's going to do what it wants to do. Yeah. Intuitively. Yeah. Yeah, I love that as a lesson. And I think it's an important one to sink in and to allow yourself time to explore and to practice. Because like you said, the the body is inherently complex. I actually have noticed that by going into more simplicity, I have more appreciation for the wildly intelligent complexity and wisdom. It's nuts. Yeah, it's totally nuts. I don't want to under, you know, dismiss the complexity. I totally know. Just look like at the Krebs cycle. What? Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, it's crazy. But you know, we don't need to worry, be worried about the Krebs cycle unless there's something absolutely wrong with us. And then we can outsource that to the uh, the medical professionals, right? So I think the two big lessons would be simplicity. And I think we spoke about blue zones once before. The people that live in blue zones live the longest lives, mm. right? But they also report to highest levels of happiness as well. Yeah. And there's no complexity. They don't even exercise. Mm-hmm. They're just active. And they live in extended families and they eat well, but they're not doing, as you said, hit. They're not. They're farmers, Mm -hmm. they're gardeners, they're fishermen. They're moving a lot, but they're Mm -hmm. not worried about their Krebs cycle. They're not worried about their their, uh, biceps femoris, right? They're just not. They're just living. They're in the moment. They're feeding their families. They're, They're dancing with one another after an evening meal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the simplicity I think that we need to get back to. And also the playfulness, like yeah. grandparents that are playful. How sweet is that? Yeah. Right. How sweet is that? Yeah. I, like my mom plays cards, like, like 
with my boys or mm-hmm. connect for she can't move too well anymore but mm-hmm. still that playfulness and that willing to be playful i think is uh stay playful stay simple those would be my uh, lessons those are beautiful and uh, you know i personally have always um not always but i've been doing a lot of research on these blue zones myself and uh one of the key factors i notice that come up a lot is that playfulness and that comes up because people in that sense bubble of safety right safety of community safety of resources right safety of simplicity then it gives you the space to be able to play and be creative and to really engage in like you mentioned what turns you on what excites you what inspires you and give time and devotion to that and that to me is like the real wellspring that rejuvenates us and infuses us with vitality and really prolongs our life. That spirit, you know, practicing art. These are are actually, in my opinion, the things we need to be focusing on more. And what I hear you saying is like, yes, these need to be the focus, right? Cultivating art, cultivating presence. And once we do that, then all the stuff we're worried about with our health and our physiology, it falls into place. Yes. Like the obesity, the diabetes, the think of anything that's wrong with us today, right? They're all a symptom of, they're, they're secondary, mm-hmm. right? They're secondary. Mm. We want to get to the root of the cause, not yes. just with the symptoms. Yes, exactly. And what is the root? It's because we're not deep. <laughs> we're also like not really connecting to ourselves we're busy following the illusions of what we should be doing and what we're supposed to be doing it trickles through families it trickles through career and it's definitely pervasive in health and in fitness where people are not actually addressing the core components of what allow for that health but they're trying to manage the symptoms all the time and then failing as a result i agree well said Oh my goodness. This was such a powerful conversation. I'm so inspired and so lit up by this. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. I really love speaking with you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous, and be good to yourself. And have a beautiful day.